from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, Pardes alum. This week, Bo. This week, Tovalea Nachmani discusses Bo. Tovalea Nachmani is a member of the Pardes faculty. And now, Tovalea Nachmani. In this podcast on Parshat Bo, I want to think about the stories we tell and why we tell them. I want to invite and even challenge ourselves to notice how we choose to tell our stories. Who are the characters in our stories, and how do we credit them for the parts that they play? Every day of our every day of our lives, we tell stories. We tell stories about the small stuff. When someone asks me, "What did you do today?" or "What did you eat for breakfast?" or "What's new at work?" "How's your family?" we have stories to tell, and we tell stories about big stuff, about decisions we're making, or about issues we're facing with our roommates, or our partners, or our children. One of my favorite stories to tell when people ask me is how I met my husband. I could just say, we met in university when we were undergrads, or we met through a mutual friend. But the real story is that I was coming back from a five-day hike in the Sinai Desert with camels and the like, and the hike was organized for students by the Hebrew University. There were five busloads of students, and each one had a certified medic and a tour guide. On day one of the hike, the young, super-friendly, handsome Israeli medic on my bus got a bit too fresh with me, and I told him off, albeit politely. Without much difficulty, he found other women to flirt with on the trip, and I was relieved of his attention. On day five, at the end of the hike, the buses returned to Jerusalem, and we all scrambled to collect our backpacks that were being tossed off the rack on the top of the bus. All anyone wanted, after days of no showers and sleeping on rocky ground in the desert, was to get to our rooms as fast as we could. While I was waiting for my backpack to be tossed down, from the bus, the friendly, handsome medic came up to me and asked for my dorm room number so he could visit me next time he was on campus. A bit taken back, I remembered thinking to myself, are you serious? I thought I made it clear to you that I'm just not interested. But nice person that I was, I didn't want to offend him, so I thought, okay, I'll just give him the wrong address. At that moment, I recalled the face of my dear father, who is one of the most honest people I've ever met. Here's just one tiny example of how honest my dad is. When I was a kid, my parents took me and my brothers to the movies for my 12th birthday. Movie tickets for children under 12 were half price. And I remember my brothers and I whispering to dad, just say that I'm still age 11. But since it was the actual day of my birthday, my dad insisted on buying the ticket for me for the full price. Fast forward 10 years later. Here I am in Israel for the year, and there I was, standing by the bus in a pile of backpacks, recalling the sweet image of my father's face. So what did I do? I gave the handsome medic my room number, thinking he'll never come. Two weeks later, the medic knocked on my door, to my dismay, but he had come to visit with his equally handsome cousin, who very gradually and very respectfully began a friendship with me, which later turned into a romance, and is today my husband. What stands out about that story for me is the turning point, the image of my father, and the moment of deciding not to lie. So the credit for meeting my husband, I definitely give to my father and mother for the value of honesty and integrity that they lived by. So let's connect this to the Parsha. So the first question I want to ask is, if God wanted to take the Israelites out of Egypt, why did it take 10 plagues? And wouldn't one have been enough? Okay, two or three, but why ten? And why those particular plagues? There are multiple wonderful answers to that question. 
But I want to go deep into the shot of the text because all of those ridiculously dramatic and colorful plagues made for an absolutely unforgettable story. And maybe that's the reason for the plagues. In the beginning of Parshat Shemot, chapter 10, God says to Moshe, Bo el paro, come to Pharaoh, ki ani ikhbalati et libo, because I have hardened his heart, I have made his heart heavy. Vet lev avadav, leman shiti ototai ele, kirbo. I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants in order to place these signs in his midst. But not only that, it says, Uleman tisaper beoznei vincha, uven vincha, et asherit alalti bemitzrayim. In order that you will tell the story in the ears of your child and the child of your child, how I messed with Egypt. Ibn Ezra says this word is an intentional shifting of the laws of nature in order to take revenge on Pharaoh. And that's what the plagues were. And about the signs which I have placed in them, the signs were the plagues. So that you will know that I am God. Vidatem ki ani Adonai. Now there's barely a Jewish child on earth who can't tell you about the plagues of blood and frogs and lice and then hailstones, darkness, and killing of the firstborn. It makes for a fantastic story. But the question is, how do we tell it? Why do we tell the story about the plagues? Do we tell the story simply to entertain our listeners at all ages? Or do we credit God? The next question I want to ask is, when do we have an obligation to tell our children about the plagues? Is Passover Seder the only time and place where the plagues interest us? Where we throw ping pong balls as hail and we put blood on the doorposts, ketchup on the doorposts as blood and throw frogs at the table? I mean, to what extent do we have the obligation to talk about God's involvement with the world at other times? In this pasuk that I quoted before in the beginning of Parshat um, Bo, so we're told to tell the story in the ears of our children. Why in their ears? Why in their ears? I think telling someone into their ears is a very personal act, a very intimate act. We can't be talking at them from a distance. We need to be close up, very close. In other words, we must have a relationship with the person we are telling, whether a child, a friend, a student. That person must know that we care about them. Otherwise, they will not be able to listen, and they will not be able to believe. We're obligated to tell not only our children, but also our grandchildren. Bincha uven bincha, the child of your child. Since I personally didn't merit to know my grandparents very well or to really have a relationship with them, I only understand now that I myself as a grandparent how deep that relationship runs. Even though I'm not so old, my grandchildren definitely see me as a person who is old. And the advantage of that is that they do see me and my husband as closer to the wisdom of our tradition. They might even imagine that we came out of Egypt and stood at Sinai. Who knows? In the Talmud in Masachet Kiddushin, it says that someone who teaches their grandchild Torah is as if they received it from Sinai. Because the grandfather, the grandmother, the grandparent is closer to Sinai for that child. The relationship of a grandparent to a grandchild is much less about discipline and much more about an intimate and unconditional love. The words and the life choices of our grandparents can have a really deep and lasting impact upon us. 
And ultimately, we can hear from the people who love us most and care about our well-being. That's true for everyone, not only grandparents. I've been blessed to receive this guidance from my teachers, from my mentors, from my friends. When there is a relationship, when there's a relationship of loyalty and trust, when someone cares about me, I trust they will not lead me astray. And from these people, I learn emunah. I learn faith. I learn to recognize moments of godliness in the world. The plagues in Hebrew are called otot signs because they're symbols. So just like a stop sign, which is a red hexagon with a white hand in the center that every human being understands to be telling us to stop. And just like another kind of letter, another kind of ot, a letter, Hebrew, the word he, the word ot in Hebrew means letter, which is a symbol that we vocalize as a sound that we read. The plagues are called otot. Why? Because they have symbolic messages. There are three symbolic messages that the plagues are sending. Number one, that God exists. Number two, that God is ultimately more powerful than any other powerful power in nature, including human beings, including Pharaoh. And three, that God cares. That God cares and is involved in the human sphere of life. The plagues that were orchestrated by God symbolically and specifically condemn the misuse of power by the Egyptians toward all human beings. So the question, to return to our original question, are we telling the story of the plagues just to remind ourselves of what happened? Or did what happened in Egypt happen so that we could tell the story? You know, the gods in Egypt were all about power. God tells Moshe to speak Pharaoh's language. The plagues are all about life or death, power. And the word death appears in every scene in this Torah portion from beginning to end. First of all, after the locusts devour every last remnant of vegetation that was left from the hailstorm, Pharaoh begs Moses, Beseech Adonai your God, Adonai so that he will remove this death from me. Pharaoh calls locusts the death. But after the plague of darkness, the next plague, plague number nine, where no person could move from their place, Pharaoh calls to Moshe, get out of here and be warned never to see my face again because on the day you see my face, you will die. Pharaoh, who sees himself as a powerful god, threatens Moshe with certain death if Moshe shows up again in the palace. But then the tables turn, because in chapter 11, Moshe gives warning to Pharaoh of the death of his firstborn. God is telling Moshe to speak Pharaoh's language, life and death. In chapter 12, the Israelites are instructed to slaughter a lamb and place its blood on their doorposts. The plagues for the Egyptians are a matter of life and death, because God to the Egyptians is only about power, about life and death. But for the Israelites, it's not enough to believe that God exists, or even to believe that God wields more power than anything in nature or any human being. For the Israelites, the plagues are coming to also tell us that God is in our midst, that God is here, that God knows and cares about what happens to us and to the world. Here's an example of telling a story in a way which is totally unexpected. My teacher's teacher, Rav Tzvi Yehuda Cook, the son and disciple of the esteemed chief rabbi Rav Cook, was walking with his student in Jerusalem when they came to an intersection and they were waiting to cross the street. There was heavy traffic 
and after waiting for a long few moments, the student looked at the rabbi and gave a frustrated sigh. Oof, as we say in Hebrew. Rav Tzvi Yehuda looked at his student critically and said sharply to him, How can you be so impatient? Don't you realize that this is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to the prophet Zechariah? God said, The day will come when old people will sit in the streets of Jerusalem. And the streets of Jerusalem will be filled with children playing in her streets. The traffic is a modern example of that that God has actually returned the Jewish people to the land of Israel and fulfilling a promise of the prophet Zechariah. And in that vein, to this day when I'm in the supermarket and there's a long line at the checkout, I say with a grateful heart to the shopper behind me how fortunate we are that we live in a land of plenty and that no matter how full of food our shopping carts are, there are still mounds of fruits and vegetables and every imaginable product on the shelves behind us. And this is no less in my mind, than a fulfillment of the prophecy of Yechezkev, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 8, which is brought down in Masachet Sanhedrin, 88a, V'atem harei Yisrael anpechem titnu titenu ufiriechem tis'u l'ami Yisrael ki karvu lavo. That God is speaking through the prophet to the mountains of Israel, saying, give your produce to my people Israel, because they have begun to return to you because because they have come close to you because they are returning. And in Masechet Megillah, chapter 2, the question is asked based on the same pasuk in, in Ezekiel. The question is asked, why do we say the blessing for the return of the exiles in the Tfilat Amidah after we say the blessing for Birkat Hashanim? Right, for bounty, for sustenance, for the fruit giving of its produce, right, for the rain falling in the fruit, eh, the land giving us food, right? It's just for the same reason. Because when the Jewish people come close to the land of Israel, then it will be a sign, it'll be a sign of, um, of God's care and love and concern and fulfilling of the promise that God has actually brought us back to this land. And in order to come back to this land, there also has to be what to eat. And when we come back to this land um, and we have a supermarket filled with food, then at least for me, I feel my heart so full of gratitude that um, that we're able to be here at this time and to experience what we're experiencing in the state of Israel. And just to complete, to finish, the 18th century Hasidic master Rabbi Nachman Abrasev talks about stories and he says, some stories are meant to put us to sleep or to put our children to sleep. There's nothing like a good bedtime story. And he says, but some stories are meant to wake us up. And I think that that's what the story of the plagues are clearly meant to do, to wake us up. Because we are all sleeping. To some degree, we are sleeping through life. We're allowing so many moments to pass without him impacting us deeply. We want to live consciously. Who doesn't want to live consciously? Conscious of how much other people affect our lives how much blessing they give to us, and how much God is with us and gives us strength and wisdom and opportunities. But sleepiness, our lack of consciousness, clouds our thinking and it shushes and silences the deeper voices and dimensions within us, the dimensions of our soul, which are seeking to be evoked 
to the presence of God and of people. So my final question is a challenge to all of us to think about the stories we tell. And when we do tell our stories, whether about the small stuff and what we ate for breakfast or how we cross the street or going shopping for Shabbat, or when we tell about our big stories, to what extent do we credit other people? And what grateful credit do we give to them and to God? What stories do you want people to know about you? And what story have you made sure to tell your children or your friends? What story is waiting for you to tell it and to whom? A story doesn't have to be an impressive, heroic tale. Very often there's a significant lesson for us and others in the stories that emanate from the smallest moments of our daily lives. When I tell a story, I not only reveal my belief in God and belief and gratitude to the people who enable me to be me, but by telling the story, I also, I also feed my beliefs about God and about the people in my life to whom I owe credit and to whom I want to express my heartfelt, my deepest heartfelt thanks. Thank you, Tovalea. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Jerusalem.